and it tells all of our bad faults. But as a person, we just don't want to look at our own self. It's difficult to look into the mirror and say, uh, you are a bad person too. Look at Galatians 5 now in verse 13, though. Let's go up a little bit farther before that. Here Paul speaking to the church. He says, for brethren, you have been called unto liberty. You know, we weren't brought here to be put back in bondage, were we? He called us to liberty. He called us out of the world, out of this system of things. He's opened our understanding to his way of life. Liberty from being under the control of Satan as the world is. Only he puts on, use not your liberty for the occasion of flesh. So don't use that liberty because you... I'm a human, and I have this liberty, and I have God's knowledge. As Bill was pointing out, try to teach other people that do not want to learn. People just don't want to hear. So you can try, but you don't take that liberty that, hey, I am great. I am one of God's chosen people. And so you put yourself above everybody else. That's not what you're supposed to do. Paul said, don't do that. But... He puts, love, but by love, serve one another. So through tender kindness, maybe, through love, you're willing to serve other people. You don't do it because you're forced into it. You do it because you want to do it. Because we're our family. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we love each other like we love ourselves, then we're not going to go up there and find fault. And if we are, if we're set upon by somebody else, we're not going to turn around and retaliate. No, we're going to love them as we love ourselves. But he puts on in verse 15, if you bite and devour one another... So if we can find fault and we bite on them, or we come down hard on each other, we devour them in, I know the answers, I'm so good, and when we bite on people, we're saying, I am righteous. More so than you. Are you? Am I more righteous, Paul said? Take heed that you be not consumed one of another. Because you get into a battle. You get into who's the most uh, righteous when we're all not righteous. Christ said, there's none right but God the Father. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And then he goes through and tells us what the lust of the flesh is and what the Spirit of God is. So he wanted us to go the right way. So how would we then act if we were Christ? Or how would we expect Christ to act? Well, we know what happened. They accused him of all kinds of things. Anything they could find, they paid people to say, he was bad, he did this, he broke God's law. And what did he do? He said he never brought a railing accusation. Never brought a railing accusation. Which is fantastic, I think, because I find sometimes that's pretty hard. It's pretty hard not to uh, come back on somebody when I know I'm right and they think I'm wrong. So, hey, I can come back on them. You know, I find fault with them. First Peter 2, verse 20. First Peter 2, 20. How Christ would respond if somebody was biting on him. 1 Peter 2.20, Christ tells us for through Peter, For what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? Well, you know, there's no glory in that. Hey, I, I did it. I broke this. I lied. I cheated. I did whatever it was. I did it, so now I'm getting corrected for it. And I take that because, hey, I'm guilty of it. So if you take it patiently when you do it, there's no, there's no glory in that, is there? But if 
when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable to God. So if somewhere down the line somebody jumps on you and causes you to have a difficulty or you lose control or you just get your feelings hurt and you become offended, maybe we should go back and read Psalms 119, 165, where he says, Great peace have they that love your law. You have to say, how much do I really love God's law? And nothing will offend you. If we really follow Christ the way he tells us to, we're not going to find faults, are we? We're going to be able to deal with whoever throws something at us. I know it's hard. I've found myself in that position and find that it's a whole lot easier to walk away. You're not going to have a fight. One person's not going to fight with himself. And if you walk away, you're not offended. You're not going to offend them. You're not going to go to battle. You can't fight with just one person. 1 Corinthians 13. Now, we've gone over this a lot and we've heard a lot about this and And I can think back, and I've gone over a lot of the sermons that uh, we've produced here in this little group for the past 12 years. And consistently, we've had the same talk, whether it be in fear, or who, what, when, where, why, how, or the minor prophets, you know, you can number them. It always brought back the same thing, godly love. It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity. You know, in our language today, the word charity here is not the same as it was in 1612 when they wrote the scriptures. Today, charity, read, I copied this off of the Webster Dictionary. Charity means genuous Actions or donations to aid the poor or the ill or the helpless. That's what charity is. It means giving and not expecting anything back. You know, I I give to them, I help them, whatever. My problem with that goes, and I've seen this, it's happened in my life when I had people work for me. You can give people and not expect them to do anything back. And you find that the more you give, the more they receive, the more they want, and the less they're going to do. It's just a human tendency. So charity today means giving when you see somebody's hurting or needs of help. You know, we've got all these charitable organizations out there. The second thing they put is something given to a person or persons in need, like alms. You know, you walk down the street. used to be, I can remember, even in Houston, I mean Fort Myers, uh, we had we had a uh, church uh, yard sale. And there was this fellow that sat over on the corner wanting, he had a sign, I'll work for food. Give or stop and ask them, okay, i got plenty of work. You know what? They won't get in your car. They really don't want to work for food. They want you to give them money because they don't want to work, period. He even offered it to the guy. Come on, i got work. I'll pay you. Or I'll, you, I've got a lot of work and I'll give you all the food you can. I'll feed you two meals today. They don't want that. And how many people drove by that person that day and gave them McDonald's hamburgers because it was right there by McDonald's. Just gave them food and they were just stuffing it down the drain because they had so much. They didn't really want the food. They want money. They don't want to work. So here, charity today is our hearts are, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you financial help if I can. But that's not what originally was. I know that the the word there is uh, in Strong's number 25, but that word goes pretty broad, more broad than what we can think of. That word also means uh, charity 
as card here in First Corinthians 13, can mean love brother to brother by Strong's. It can mean love for God to Christ, Christ to the Father, the Father to us, Christ to us. So it's a pretty broad statement. But in the word in charity is not what it means today. It's not for us, it'd be better to say the love of God, the characteristic that God has is what that is. It's a it's a it's a a amount of giving that you would give your life that they can be a part of God's family. So love has a lot of meanings. Look at Matthew twenty two. Matthew twenty two. Verse thirty six. Here the master which is uh, they came to Christ and said, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, we can ask that ourselves. Which, what is the, the greatest commandment that God has given to us? So he asked it. And Christ, Emmanuel, answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So, God wants you to be totally involved in what He's doing. And that's what He expects us. He expects us to totally dedicate our life to Him. It's hard sometimes. We live in a society that pulls us away, doesn't it? And if someone should bite on us, do we love them that way? So, Emmanuel said, this is the first and great commandment, that God has to be the first and most important thing in your life. You know, when God gave those commandments, those people actually heard that, didn't they? They heard, I am the Lord your God that brought you out of Egypt. They heard him say, you have no other gods. They heard him, audible, every one of them heard him say, don't take my name in vain. They heard him say, keep the Sabbath. But you know, 40 days after Moses went up on a mountain and God wrote those commandments on a stone, he came down. He was upset, wasn't he? Because they forgot that God was God. Sometimes it's easy. I think, why am I here? Have I forgot what brought me to this point? Did I forgot that God opened my understanding in 1962? He reopened it again in 95, 94, 95. He reopened it again when I was able to hear the minor prophets. Do, I, do those things slip past my mind? I have to ask myself. And I ask you, do you think about that? Has that slipped your mind? Forty days after they heard Christ speak, what were they doing? Aaron said, I got them to give me their gold and silver, and I threw it in the fire, and out jumps this calf. Right, you know. Where would you, you think that that would actually happen? Aaron thought he could tell Moses that. They forgot. The first and great commandment, they created something that they could say, this will lead us. Isaiah tells us there about cutting down a tree and cooking our food and making a house and then making a statue out of it. So they forgot that. They forgot the meaning, the first and great commandment to love God with all their heart. Verse 39 says, And the second is like unto it. You shall love the Lord, uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hangs the law and the prophets. Well, what's the prophets? Everything in the book, isn't it? Isn't this all prophecy? Isn't it all tell us it was written for us today? And the law hangs on all of that. 
everything. So the, the meaning of love is so broad that it's easy, a lot of times, to forget what it really means. It can mean trust. How much do you trust God? Trust where he brought you? Trust who he puts in charge? Trust where he's directing us to go? It can mean sacrifice. Sometimes it's most difficult to sacrifice, isn't it? It's hard to sacrifice some things that you really would like to have. So we live in a society that says, you don't have to sacrifice. You just get your piece of plastic and go down there and put it on it. And if you run out of that plastic, won't buy any more, get another one. And you can have a hundred of them. And you get to the point where you can take the next one and pay the first one. And take the next one and pay the next one. And before you know it, you're so snowed under. Because Satan's society says, you don't have to trust. Just go out there and, or sacrifice, rather. You don't have to give up something. You don't have to give that up. You're entitled to it. They got an ad on TV about people that have money owed to them. They said, it's my money. And, they, you know, that's just grates on my personality where some say, it's my money. It's, to me, it's like having Satan saying that to you can have Whatever you want, you know, isn't that what he did to Eve? I don't, you know, maybe God's not telling you everything. You need that. You don't have to sacrifice something. So love can mean sacrifice, following what God tells you. It can mean humility, being humble, being willing to say, a great peace of they that love God's law and nothing will offend me. You'd be pretty humble to not be offended, wouldn't you? Become pretty, pretty humble in that case. It can mean obedience. God gives you directions. Children are directed by their parents, aren't they? It'd be a sad state of affairs if your little children, you said, don't run in the street. <laughs> They're going to obey me. They're going to do what they want. They run in the street, get run over by a car. That's not being very obedient, is it? And we teach each other to be not obedient when we're not obedient. When we know what to do, we know this is what God wants, we know what He expects us to have, and we don't do it. We don't obey. Israel didn't obey, did they? God said, have no other gods. What did they do? They disobeyed the first chance they could get. He told them to go up there and look at the country. I'm going to give you this land. Well, we don't want to go up there because the people are too big. They're too strong. I'm afraid. You can't help me anyway. I mean, you, you, you kill the Egyptians for me. You, you wipe the Egyptian army out. You gave us food and water and stuff, uh, but I can't trust you, can I? No. And another meaning of love goes, which goes along with love is mercy. And basically I'm going to cover as much as I can on mercy this afternoon. Because mercy is very important if we love each other. Very important. You know, God says, I want you to learn of me. Go to Matthew 23, because Christ brought this very thing up to the scribes and the Pharisees throughout Matthew 23. He called them hypocrites, 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 hypocrites. You know what a hypocrite is? That's a person that plays. Play acting. They're, they look fantastic on the outside. But inside, it's a different story. We have a lot of hypocrites on TV, don't we? We have play acting, don't we? Whether it be in the news programs or some show, 
they're all play acting. It's not reality. You have to wonder about the news programs if that's even reality because they have tremendous ability now to make things look right that's not even there. Tremendous ability to do that. So Christ says here in Matthew 23, verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're play acting. You want everybody to think, hey, you are really great people. That's why he said, you're like white and sepulchers. You know, beautiful on the outside. And we, and we show that. You know, we have children, parents who take children and deck them out and make them all up. And they look like adults at six, seven, eight years old, nine years old, ten years old. They look like they're startling beauties, but they're children. They're really not what they, what they really are. And so people do that. It reminds me, I was telling my wife, it reminds me of that story about the guy that married the, the unfortunate man. I probably brought this out before. Who married this gorgeous woman. Fantastic. I mean, he, he just fell head over heels about her. And he took her, after he married her, and he went to the motel. He later ran out of the motel screaming. Why? Because she was so spectacular until who she really was stood out. You know, she took off her hair, took out her eyes, uh, took off all her makeup, took off her legs, and he ran out. You know, he thought he had the bionic woman there. <laughs> He's really afraid. But that's what, what we do. And that's what a, a hypocrite is. It's somebody who says, I'm a Christian on the outside I look like a Christian on the outside but on the inside my heart isn't with God I don't have what we read earlier my heart totally completely my heart my mind my body my whole being wrapped up in the Father and in Christ and doing what they want now we look like we do that but when we get by ourselves when we're not around a church member, we're not around the pastor, we're not around somebody that we know is there going to look at me, uh, then you're, you're not being rightful to yourself or to God. So he called them hypocrites. He said to them, you pay uh, tithes of mint coming in anise. Well, they, they go down and tithe down to the smallest amount. If he made $1,010.30... He's going, to de- he's going to pay $101.03. I'm not going to cut it short, you know. I'm going to pay this down to the smallest amount. He said, I'm, I'm not going to slip. I'm going to be so hard. I'm going to make sure I do what I have. He can't go any... He can't go to... 102. He can't go to uh, 200 or 30, 130 or whatever. He's got to be right down to the smallest detail. We get that way, don't we? Everything has to be right to the detail. And if, and if it isn't, boy, I'm going to let you know it. I'm going to let you know that that's wrong. But Christ said, you forget something. You know, that's okay to do that, but you forget something. Judgment. What about judgment? Well, there are laws. You go speeding down the road and you go 50 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone, you're going to, the judgment is you pay X amount of money because you're speeding. I don't care what it is. I don't care who you are. You're going to pay that amount of money. That's the judgment. So he says, judgment, which is right. God set all kinds of judgments. You break the law, you die. What about David? Did he break the law? And did he die? He murdered. He committed adultery. He even went out and was told not to number the people. He numbered the people. He numbered the people. He sinned, but he didn't die, did he? 
So judgment was, you break the law, you pay the penalty. Was it, uh, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So he says judgment. And he adds something else, mercy. If it wasn't for God's mercy, what would have happened to David? He just died. He committed murder. He was set up to be the head of the whole operation of God at that time. He was king over the whole nation. The people could look up there and say, well, if David can do that and get by with it, why can't I? I have, you know, I'm a human too. If a brother or sister that I love goes out there and steals from somebody else, well, I might as well be able to do that too, can I? Do I have that right to do it? I mean, hey, it's allowed. If somebody breaks God's law and they're and they don't follow the directions, do we turn around and say, "Well, that's okay." I like that person. I, you know, I'm going to condone. Uh, I'm not going to condone their action. I'm going to stand by their actions. It's fine. No, that's not what God says. He says there's a law and you pay a penalty for it. But he says there is something called mercy. Mercy. Forgiveness. Why didn't David die? Because David got on his knees and said, I sinned. And I didn't sin just against Bathsheba or against Uriah. I sinned against God. Because I forgot that God says, I should love him with my whole heart, my whole mind, and my whole body. All my being should be loving God and following the first commandment. And I broke the second because God says, love your neighbor as yourself. And I didn't love my neighbor or I wouldn't have done what I did. David repented. And that's where mercy comes in. The law said death, but God's mercy says, I'll change that. Because you see your mistakes. And then faith. Believing that God will give you what what you need. There are, um, these ought you have done and not forgot the others. Leave the other undone. No, we, we, we're willing to do one thing, but if it doesn't fit in uh, my ideas or how I want to live my life, well then, uh, I can, I, I'm going to do that. Well, you don't follow the faith and mercy and, and right judgment. God's whole being is a God of love, isn't he? Outpouring love. And in his love, he leans toward mercy. Or else, I wouldn't be here. If it wasn't because of God's mercy, you wouldn't be here. This little group wouldn't be on this piece of property right now if it wasn't for the mercy of God. Matthew 9, verse 13. This is... I got down point one. God leans toward mercy. God wants to have mercy. Nine thirteen Matthew. But go you and learn what it means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Oh, I guess that puts me in a category of being called a sinner, doesn't it? Because if I was righteous, he said, I wouldn't need to call you. So I must be not righteous, I must be a sinner, and so much you. But he said, learn what it means that I would have mercy and not sacrifice. He doesn't need bulls and goats, does he? He doesn't need to sacrifice us for all the sins that we do on a daily basis. He wants to have mercy. 
He wants to love us so much and he wants us to be a part of his family that he's willing to forgive us. He's willing to overlook that mistake. And that's what he wants from us too, isn't it? Hosea 6.6 6 tells us, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Same thing. He really wants to have mercy. But if we're so hard-headed, so unwilling to sit down and say, Yes, I made that mistake. And so we're told that we should come to God and seek God's help. Because whenever we commit a sin, whenever we go backward or we slip backward, then we need to go to God and say, please forgive me, a sinner. Come to the Father and say, I know that I did this. And it wasn't against somebody else. It was against what you said. Because if I did something to somebody else, I broke the second commandment. The great commandment. Loving my neighbor as myself. Which was what God told me. So he said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice for, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. He wants us to learn about him. He wants us to understand who he is. He wants us to grasp how he lived his life and what he expects from us. And we only can do that through knowledge, through reading the scriptures. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Christ speaking to the people, to the disciples, he said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, the rest that we're looking for, the rest from our rotten way of life, the rest of going to total death, he wants to give us that rest. Take my yoke upon you, and he says, Learn of me. Learn of what I do. He set the example. We can't go, and I don't care who we are, whether we're little children or 95, 100-year-old people, God wants us to learn of Him. He wants us to study His words. And so often have we been told, don't let any, any of God's Word fall to the ground. And yet... We can find something that's difficult for me, and we let that fall away. Throw that on the ground. Are we learning of God if we do that? He says, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest of your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burdens light. That's what Christ is. Learn what Christ did. Learn how he responded. You know, they hit him. They crammed the thorns on his head. They tied him to a stake and beat him. And any of those, ask yourself, how would I respond? Would I cry out? Curse them? Would I look down on them? Would I find all the kind of faults with them? Christ said, learn of me what I did. That's the way he wants us to live our life. And We say, well, Christ, when all that, did God have mercy on him? No, he had mercy on you and me. He had tender, loving mercy on us because now we can learn how to follow him and be a part of his family. They found all kinds of faults with him. We know they said he broke the Sabbath. There in Matthew 12, verse 7, says, If you had known what the meaning was, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. It's because when they were going through the cornfields, they got a bite to eat. And so the scribes and Pharisees, who were the righteous on the outside, because Christ said, do what they tell you. That's righteousness on the outside, but not the way they do, because the inside's not right. So because they went through the cornfield and they ate, they condemned the disciples. And Christ said, told him, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. And you would have not condemned the guilty. 
And he went on to tell them he was the Lord of the Sabbath anyway. Sabbath was made for men. So they were trying to justify their actions by condemning somebody else. Because, you know, we do that in Congress here, don't we? He's the bad one. So we all look like a bunch of chickens and pick on one guy. So that way they don't look at me. You're not going to look at the way I'm living my life if I can point you to somebody else to find their faults. And that's not mercy. That's, that's the opposite of mercy, isn't it? In Psalm 118, we, we read this. I think the last sermon Daryl gave on uh, uh, the, the book of Psalms. It says in verse 1, O give thanks unto the eternal, for he is good. And notice it says, because his mercy endures forever. There's no end of the mercy that God has. That's why when David numbered the people, Gad came to him and said, you've got a choice. Uh, three months of famine, three days of, of uh of the sword coming on you. I mean, three months of the sword coming on you. Anyway, there was the famine and the sword or three days of pestilence from God. And David said, I'll take it from God. Why? Because he said, who knows whether God will have mercy on me and on the people. So he says, his mercy endures forever. David was come to understand that. Let Israel now say, his mercy endures forever. To us, to the church, to the people, we should be able to say, but the Father's mercy doesn't end. No matter what I do, I'm going to put myself in God's hand because his mercy never ends. Let the house of Aaron say his mercy never ends. To those that he put in teaching the others, they should be able to say, God's mercy, there's no end to it. Put your hell, yourself into God's hand. Seek him. His mercy never ends. And let them now that fear the eternal say his mercy endures forever. We're going to come to Psalm 136 in... in uh, whatever time it takes Daryl to get there. 26 verses in Psalm 136. Each verse ends with, His mercy endures forever. David tried to drive that home. Tried to drive it home into people's, in everybody's mind. Is there an end to how much mercy God has? You know, we make mistakes if we will just look at it and say, Father, I sinned against you. Yeah, I might have hurt somebody else. I might have been biting on somebody else. I might have been finding fault with other people. But in reality, you told me not to do that. You told me to love them the way I love you. Matthew 25 says, and points that out real clearly, doesn't it? Where Christ said, I was hungry, and you fed me. And you say, when did I see Christ hungry? He says, I was cold, and you gave me clothes. When did I find Christ cold? Did he come in that door? Has he been here in the wintertime? Do we find Christ in jail? Did we go to him in jail? No, Christ said, no. He said, when you treat your fellow man that way, that's the way you treated me. When you're willing to have mercy on someone else, when you're willing to see somebody else make a mistake and then change, to love them and forgive them, and to help them go the right way. James says, if you see a brother or a sister commit a crime, and you go to them, and you show them the mistake with loving kindness, mercy, 
And they turn around because you had the family relationship, the brotherly love, the God love, the godly love, 1 Corinthians 13, the godly love, that you love them so much that you were able to show them, not jump on them with two feet, but to show them the mistake. I've said this before, too. If in Matthew 18, it says when you have a difficulty with a brother, you go to that brother. Do you go to them and pound on them? Is that going to bring a solution to the problem? I'm right, you're wrong. And being a human, you're wrong and I'm right, you know. You're going to jump back on them. But you know how to stop that? You can go to them and say, forgive me, have mercy on me, forgive me, be like the Father, have mercy on me. And you know, there won't be a fight. There's no way to continue fighting if you're asking them to forgive you. Uh, Maybe you didn't do it wrong. Maybe you didn't hurt them some way. Maybe you didn't... uh, say things about them. But if you say, forgive me, I'm a sinner. We all have sinned. It says that in Romans. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. Can we go to a brother or sister and say, forgive me? That ends the problem. If it persists then, yeah, you have to go and take it to brothers or sisters or to the ministry and get the resolve brought forth. But you can't fight. One person can't fight with himself. So God is so full of mercy. There's no end to his mercy. He has set guidelines, like he told the scribes and Pharisees. This is the guideline. This is right judgment. Have this judgment. But have mercy too. You know, maybe they make a mistake and they fall short of that guideline that was set out in front of them. But if they repent, if they ask you to forgive them, are you forgiving them? Because, you know, as Matthew 25 says, the way you treat that brother or sister in Christ or anyone in the world, you're treating Christ that way. You would argue with Christ if you argue with your, with your neighbor. You know, if you want to go to battle with your neighbor, you go to battle with Christ. Satan is willing to help you find every little mistake in anybody else. And sometimes with people like me, it's pretty easy. I make a lot of them. I come short, and so do you. If I really want to find fault with you, I'll find it. But that's not God's attitude, is it? God is the judge. He's the one that makes the final decisions. Somebody called me the other day and said, you ought to hear this person, how he's condemning somebody else in the church. And I said, you know, I can't change their life. I can't bring them to Christ the way I'm going to Christ. I can't condemn those people. I'm not their judge i got enough of my own problems. So you don't want to go out there and find fault and call somebody all kinds of names and tell them they don't study the Bible when you don't know that they study the Bible. You don't want to tell somebody they are going to go to the lake of fire when you don't know their heart. Just not going to do that. You can't. You are not their judge. God is the judge. And he is so full of mercy that if we turn around and go the other way, who knows? Will he forgive you? Will he overlook that mistake? And will he bring you into the family? I think he will. He says, my mercy endures forever. There's no end to the mercy that the Father has. In 
Psalm 103, 17. We, we went over this too, not too long ago. It says, but the mercy of the eternal is from everlasting to everlasting. There's no end, he's saying. From everlasting to everlasting. I mean, if there's no end, how can there be no end? Because he says, no end to no end. Upon them that fear him. So there's the criteria, isn't it? We have to fear him with the deepest respect that we can have to love our Father with every ounce of energy we have, with every cell in our body, which are quadrillions, to every thought. So Paul tells us to capture every thought because that's part of it too, isn't it? To stay as close to the Father as you possibly can. That's fearing the Father. And his righteousness unto your children's children. So there's no end. No end. Having mercy is so important in our life that we need to focus in on it. If we want to say, I want to be like God. If we want to say, I want to have um, love of God. Do I forgive other people? Do I have enough mercy for my family and my extended family, you know, our spiritual family, which is more important where Christ said, you know, he gave that statement, said, who is, you know, when he's brought to him and said, your mother and brothers and mother, your brother and your sister are all outside. He said, who is my mother, my father, my brother, my sister? Or not my father, but my mother, my brothers and my sisters. He said, you. My family is here. And for me, I can look at this audience and those of you on the phone line, and I can say, this is my family. These are my brothers and sisters, my children and my grandchildren. Because I look at some of you younger people as grandchildren. Some of them are almost like great-grandchildren, because I have great-grandchildren about that age, too. So this is my family. You are my family, and do I love you like Christ loves you? Do I have the love of God? 1 Corinthians 13 goes through all of that. Do I have that kind of love that Christ had for you? It is godly love. No, I can talk about it, which he's brought there in verse 1, and I can use all kinds of languages, and I can be the greatest orator in all the world. But if I don't have mercy, or love, or respect, or trust, or faith, then I'm, I'm just like a foghorn out there, or a violin, or whatever is making noise. If I can say and quote scriptures, and I remember a man in Houston... He knew the scriptures. He could quote them back and forth, up and down. He didn't live them all the time, but he could quote them. I mean, you could ask him and he could tell you where it was. He had that good of a memory. He left the church. He went the wrong direction because he didn't get what he wanted. In other words, he wanted position. He wanted authority. He wanted to be, hey, look at me. He didn't have mercy, though. He didn't have mercy. So if he didn't have mercy, he didn't have love. And if we can find fault with each other and not forgive them for being a human being, forgive them for uh, not having the stamina that everybody else has, Oh, I, this guy is so great. He's got all these scriptures down. He, on the outside, at least, he appears to walk close to God. But I don't know, and you don't know. Jeremiah seventeen ten says, God tries the reins of the heart. He knows. I don't. You don't. So if someone comes to me and says... This person's really a rotten. He's going off the wrong end. He's going down the tubes. He's teaching and leading people down the tubes. I can't condemn the man. 
First of all, I don't know him. Secondly, I don't know his heart. And thirdly, I'm not his judge. All I can do is say, if that be the case, only God can help. And get out on my knees and say, Father, if that's the case, help him. I forgive him. I want him to be a part of the family sometime. Be nice to be some of these people that was mentioned that I knew. Some of the ministry that I knew. This was the fellow was condemning the ministry. But they do that all the time. There are people that condemn the ministry because they think we shouldn't have a ministry. Are we judging? Are we stepping into God's shoes and saying, Okay, now let's see, I'm gonna That's what Satan did, didn't it? He wanted to take over God's authority. Doesn't have that right. I don't have that right. You don't have that right. But you have a right to pray and ask God to forgive. That becomes love. It's really in-depth love to see somebody having a problem and, and want to help them. I can remember stopping and helping somebody on the side of the road once. They tried to pay me. I said, no. What you have to do is the next time you get the opportunity, you help them. You show them love. So, one of the aspects in that first is that God leads toward mercy. God's direction is toward mercy. He did it. He shows us through examples. And that's a clue, maybe, for us. If God leads toward mercy... Are we leading toward mercy? So think about that. I've got three more, two more points and we're going to cover them. Too much time required. But God wants us. He loves you. He loves mankind. And He's willing to put us through a lot of things. And it's merciful if you become part of the bride of Christ, isn't it? So... If we want to say we have love, we need to sit down and ask ourselves, do I have mercy? Am I merciful like the Father? Or am I cut and dry and it ain't my way? It's not going to happen. Or if they make a mistake and somebody says something about you sometime, you know, Psalm 119, 165, again. Great peace have they that love God's law, and you will not be offended.